comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 58. PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This week's episode, we have a talk with Derby City Comic Con creator, Eric Bannister. We talk about how the show was actually created, the ins and outs of creating a convention itself. We talk about some of our favorite comic book loves and storytelling of yesteryear. There's even a little bit of toy talk at the end, so I hope you enjoyed the conversation that myself and Eric had not too long ago. Before we get to that, I wanted to send a, a special shout out to Zach Cruzy and the Merkler family at Discount Comic Book Service for the wonderful job they all did in putting together the Summit City Comic Con um, back in June. Uh, Action Lab Entertainment had a nice table, as a matter of fact, at the Summit City Comic Con as a one-day show held in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I had a wonderful time. It was um, just loaded with artists and, and indie publishers and small press folks, just it was just amazing. Wonderful time all together. Got to meet some really nice people. Got to see some people I hadn't seen in a while. Gentlemen such as Mike Norton, part of uh, Four Star Press Studios, and a gentleman like uh, Matty Lee Gross, the creator of the webcomic Cats. Uh, gentlemen such as like Dave Wachter. Just talent all around. Steve Bryant, Jim Heffron. You, you name it, it was just great to see like all this art and wonderful sales on books and, and toys and everything. Wonderful show. But the one thing that stood out more than anything for me at the Summit City Comic Con was where our table was placed right across from me. He's somebody that is a major inspiration as to why I you know create comics and, and why I got into this game. Is a gentleman by the name of Dennis Cowan. And Dennis Cowan, uh, you know, most of you may know Dennis Cowan from his work on Batman, you know, but a majority of you will know know him from his work on The Question with uh, Denny O'Neill. He helped, also helped co-found Milestone. He was also a part of the Static Shock cartoon series. He was a producer, if I, if I remember right, on Static Shock. He uh, helped also produce a season of the Boondocks cartoon. The man has been everywhere, has done a lot of things, and he was a major inspiration to me. And I had an opportunity to meet him, shake hands, and talk. We had a wonderful conversation. Words really can't truly express like the joy in my heart from meeting him and you know learning some things from him and you know and hopefully you know something grows from that it was just a very very special thing for me and i wanted to thank zach and the merkler family and dcbs you know one for not only getting this show together but two for putting me right across from this man it was just really great it's really great it's a really great show one of the best um, one day shows out there so i'm looking forward to going back in 2012. let's go ahead and get to our feature presentation joined on the line with the head promoter and director of the Derby City Comic Con taking place July 16th, 2011 in Louisville, Kentucky, not too far from where I live. Um, this man has put together this show from the ground up and I'm really excited to talk to him about it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is Eric Bannister. Thanks for having me on. I've been excited to talk to you ever since uh, we met face to face for the first time at the Summit City Comic Con uh, not too long ago. And before that, basically, we just exchanged emails and uh, Facebook messages so it was nice putting a name to a face yeah that was a that was a really good show and I I went up there to there were about mm, probably close to 20 artists or, or people who are going to be at Derby City that were also there so I 
spend a lot of time going around the tables and, and doing just that, putting faces to names and introducing myself. So that was a, a really good show for that. The thing about like shows like Summit City and your show, the Derby City Comic Con, they're both one-day shows. and right. But at the same time, with them being one-day shows, you're still offering a lot to a two-person that comes in. You're getting a, you know, a versatile plethora of artists, small press, and more. But before we get into that, how did the Derby City Comic Con come to life? A couple of years ago, it's about two and a half years ago now, well, close to three, I guess, my wife and I found out that um, she was pregnant. And when we found out it was going to be a boy, I decided I wanted to decorate the room. And I had, I've been a, a comic reader and a collector since I was probably seven years old. Kind of came and went a few times. And prior to that uh, was one of my down periods where I wasn't buying anything. I kind of kept up online every once in a while if I thought about it. But when... Um, I went to decorate the room. I had all of these like Alex Ross prints and things that I had just had in storage. So those went up and I decided I wanted to have some like Silver Age uh, comic books to put up on the wall too to add to the decoration. So I found a small show in Indianapolis and went up there to do some shopping and and that kind of reignited the, the flame a little bit. So... You know, time went on and a, a friend of mine started going up with me and on one of our trips back, you know, it's about an hour and a half drive and one of our trips back, um, I, I think he's the one that brought it up first, said, you, you know, somebody wish we could do something like this closer to home. He's got a set of twins and uh, there's, a, there's a boy and a girl and the boy is really into comics, but for uh, the kind of show that it was in Indianapolis wasn't really right for him. He, you know, he's seven going on eight and it couldn't really shop that much. So we just kind of talked about it back and forth and just kind of let it lie there. You know, a couple of weeks went by or so, and we were going to go over to his house to eat as a family. And my wife was getting ready. So i I grabbed a notepad and headed out to the porch and uh, was sitting there just kind of not really having a plan of what I was going to write or anything. And I started thinking about the uh, comic show and I'm kind of one of those odd kind of nerds that I, I really enjoy logistics of stuff. So I just kind of started writing. If I was going to do something like this, how would I lay it out? What would the plan be? How would you know, one thing fit into another. And so just kind of wrote. And when she came down, I had probably two notebook pages full of ideas and plans and all that kind of stuff. So tossed it in the back seat and we go over. We talked throughout the night, he and I. There was some comic talk. And, um, you know, by this time, my son's a baby and everything. And so we get ready to leave. And he says, you know, I, I really think you ought to consider putting on a show he's kind of trying to egg me on a little bit <laughs> so i pulled the notepad out as i'm putting my son in the back seat and i said well i think i've already started so that was really the germ of it i you know had a list of shows that i wanted to look up so i could avoid the dates and um really there's nothing close to louisville um you had to go to chicago or uh, columbus to mid-ohio really hit a big show i you know in my research i stumbled across a show in cincinnati and uh, that started last year and so we went to it and kind of scoped it out and talked to a couple of people there to see you know there hasn't been anything in louisville for i don't know probably close to 20 years so i talked to some dealers and a couple of artists and said you know here's what i'm thinking about doing what do you what's your feedback and everybody was really positive about it and really encouraging so i just bit the bullet and jumped in with both feet <laughs> <laughs> You had mentioned in the beginning you had started um, checking out comics when you were when you were young. And what comics did you start out with reading as a kid? When I was uh, real little, I, um, I lived in a 
real small country area and uh, we didn't really have any neighbors we didn't we didn't have any neighbors that had any kids so uh when i was in it would have been the the summer between my kindergarten and first grade years and my grandma lived just down the road so uh, my mom would take me and my brother in the summers and we'd go and hang out there and my aunt she had bought an airstream trailer that was outfitted as a on inside and that's what she was going to do but then she changed her mind so this was sitting in the back uh, yard at my grandma's and my uncle who was 12 years older he graduated as i he, it was his senior year when i was in kindergarten so he moved out right after he graduated and took a lot of the stuff that he and put it in that trailer so you know being a curious kid a uh, you know, between six and seven years old and no other kids but my brother around, I decided I'd go see what was in this trailer and walked in and, you know, I had the big uh, chairs with the big hair dryers in it, you know. So I found a, three or four boxes and opened them up and they were just full of comics. I spent a ton of time that summer just sitting in this Airstream trailer in these big dryer chairs, uh, reading comics. And the stuff that he had in there, he had a, a couple of them that I don't still to this day don't even know the titles of. But they were like a DC, there was a DC one and a Marvel one. And basically they just reprinted older stories. So the, the Marvel one in particular would have a, a Fantastic Four story, then an X-Men story, then a Spider-Man story. And then the next month, it would have a uh, the continuation of the Fantastic Four story and the continuation of the Spider-Man story, but then a Daredevil story or something like that. So I read a lot of those. So I caught up on a lot of the original, you know, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Silver Age stuff that was reprinted in those books and um he also had a full run of spider-man starting at about issue 50 hmm. and uh, so a four or five years worth of spider-man comics so that that was the main stuff that i read it was a lot of marvel stuff and that was my kind of my introduction in the comics and then as i got older you know i could buy my own my own stuff and um uh, just I, there was a period there in high school that I read. If it was a comic and it was on the rack, I bought it. I don't. <laughs> I, if it was Marvel, I, I didn't get a whole lot of DC. But I mean, I I ran across some the other day. I, Dakota North uh, miniseries. I, re I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't even really remember what it was about, other than she was a detective. Um, the Buckaroo Bonsai. Uh, adaptation. I had that. I had all the, the Muppet stuff. Yes. I mean, I just if it was on the newsstand, it, it was in my. You know, I bought it. Did so. you Did you ever have any of the uh, Doctor Who Doctor Who Marvel books? No, I never did. I never got any of those. What about Indiana Jones? I did have some Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, had Indiana Jones. I was a huge um, GI Joe fan. Uh, I've been reading. Um, I've been reading the trades, the classic. Joe trades lately mm -hmm. and I started at number one and I was telling my wife the other day I was like this is really kind of trippy because you know they have the covers in there with them and I can um pulling those cover pulling those comics out of the mailbox and they were in those brown you know sleeves yes and pulling that sleeve off and seeing that cover and then when I was looking at them in those books I mean it was just like it was just like I was there you know that 12 years old or 11 years old or whatever, oh, yeah. pulling those comics out and sliding that round <laughs> cover over, off of them. I was the same way. I um, For like a few years, we lived uh, with my grandmother and, and my grandma had kids that were older than me, a little, you know, a little bit older than me, but they were in the comics. So mm -hmm. they had boxes of comics and like a lot of the Joe covers, like a lot of the GI Joe covers, like I know, like you, I know where I, I knew where I was when I mm -hmm. read that book. When I read yeah. issue, when I read issue twenty one, the silent issue, I was at oh, my, I was yeah. I was at my grandma's house. Yeah, and I was I either I read it in the couch on the living room, I read it in the basement, um, you know, with the TV on in the background. I you know I read it upstairs, I read it everywhere, 
and yeah. um, like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I read that at my grandma's house. Wow. My relatives, like they had all types of X Men books. So I got into the Burn Claremont X Men, uh, the Claremont Cockrum X Men, um, the uh, Romita, the Romita Junior. Mm-hmm. run on x-men i really got into that and that was during a period of time where i didn't understand it but i i loved it and it took me it just took me a while for me to catch on to it because it was so different at the time the ramita jr stuff yeah. was so different than all the other marvel books that were going on you know because yeah. x-men at that time they took it to a whole different level you look at that team i mean nowadays that's the norm but back in the 80s when it wasn't like psych and in phoenix and all that you had mm-hmm. wolvie colossus nightcrawler rogue and storm and kitty pride you know if you look at that back then that was a risk yeah because you know cause yeah. none, none of those characters were really big guns yet wolverine wasn't wolverine yet and they stuck with it and and it just blew up and it it was it was something to behold so no i i but i know how you feel about that though yeah that those x-men comics that the mutant massacre i remember exactly where i was when i read those where i got those my uh, aunt the same one that had the airstream trailer she had two little kids and then she she had uh, some surgery and she she couldn't lift the kids and her husband worked, so I stayed with them for a summer. And my payment, they'd give me some cash here and there, but on the weekend, they would take me up to uh, Bloomington, Indiana, is where close to where I grew up. And there was a, the very first comic shop that I had ever seen uh, was there, 25th Century Five and Dime. <laughs> and I, this was about my, um, probably my freshman year of high school. And uh, she would drive me up there and they'd give me 20 bucks and 20 bucks go a long way oh, yeah. in you know <laughs> 1984 85 buying comics so oh, i'd go down there and i i remember taking those comics back uh to their house and right before bed i remember that i i that is where i read the return of gene gray and the beginning of x factor the mutant massacre all that stuff mm. was summer that i was um at their house and so i remember exactly where i was reading those and then gi joe 21 that's one of the two comics that i point to as being extremely pivotal in my not just my like reading of comics but my understanding of comics yes. because it is such a good story and there's no dialogue to it i had been reading comics for years and years and enjoyed them but that was probably the first time that I ever looked at a comic and really it sunk in how important the art was, which kind of sounds funny, but I mean, I was like 12 years old, you know, and that sunk in that it's not just the words that they're doing. These, they can really tell a, a story that goes somewhere with, with the artwork. And the other comic that did that was a, and I'm forgetting the number of it now, but it was an amazing Spider-Man, and it was a backup story uh, by Roger Stern called The the Boy Who Collected Spider-Man. Hmm. Have you ever read that? It's been a long time. The, the name, That's, the title I know, but it's been a very long time. It, it's, uh, you know, a story, of, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read this 20-year-old comic, <laughs> um, it is a boy, and he's in his bedroom, and Spider-Man's there with him, and the boy is showing him these huge scrapbooks of Spider-Man stuff, you know, every clipping and all this. And he's telling the boys, telling him how he doesn't agree with J Jonah Jameson and, and all that. And at the very end, he says, I only wish that I could really know who you were. And Spidey's getting ready to go out the window and he turns around and takes his mask off. And he says, my name's Peter Parker. And he, he, the kid realizes that that's who took all those pictures that he's collected. So the last panel is Spidey swinging out of the window, and it says uh, "Juvenile Home for Cancer Victims." That that was a story that where I was like, okay, this is this medium can be, you know, some guy trying to take over the world and everybody trying to stop him. You know, a human aspect to these stories that doesn't have anything to do with the powers. So those two comics I read fairly close together Uh, that kind of flipped a switch in there somewhere
when I read a G.I. Joe 21, it was one of those things where as I got older, even hopping in and out of comics or, you know, over over the decades, it was one of those things that if any if anybody else tried to mimic a silent issue or try to do their own, it was always weak in comparison to G.I. Joe 21. They they may or may not have done it first because I'm not sure if there were comics, any comics in the 70s or the 60s or the 50s that may have done it, but they had done it first for me. Yeah. And so anything else that came afterward would really have to step its game up in order to be, you know, as powerful as that book was for me. But, yeah. um, but no, speaking, going back to the uh, Derby City Comic Con, now, one day show. And then in this one day show, you're going to have guests, you're going to have artists, a small press, uh, vendors. What's the what's like the mix or ratio of all these things like for this show? Uh, we've got uh, there are 28 vendors setting up and those range from I think out of those 28, there are 17 um, that deal strictly in comic books. And those go from um, Wallace Smith comics. He, he brings a lot of. Um, you know, modern to Bronze Age stuff, mainly reader copies, um, but you can find a lot of cool stuff in, in his bins, um, all the way up to, to Dale Roberts Comics, who deals in vintage stuff. I mean, the high dollar you know, vintage stuff. So the whole range is there for somebody looking for comics. And then there's, in with those vendors, there's stuff like the the um, Kentucky Star Wars Collectors Club, and uh, there's a local record label called, called Little Heart Records. They're going to be setting up and just a few other, you know, local places like that. And then the small press and um, counting all creators with small press and um, everything else, we've got about 115 uh, creators nice. that are going to be there. Very, very so, yeah, and, it's, and that's a wide range too. I mean, we've got, you know, the bigger names like uh, Tony Moore, Marjorie Lou, and Janet K. Lee, and Gary Friedrich, um, and then we've got other you know guys that are working the superhero genre, and then you know people who just do slice of life stuff like Max Inc. and um, Eric Adams, you know guys like. So it's a it's a pretty wide range, and then on one side of one section of the the show, we're going to have some kids activities set up where they can kind of learn to. Um, draw a comic. There'll be some paneled pages there that they can can do that on. Um, there's a gentleman named Victor Dandridge who's created a, a curriculum uh, called You Create Comics, and he's going to give two. He's scheduled to do two seminar type things for the kids, where he steps them through using an application form, uh, how to create an actual character from the ground up with an origin and all that kind of stuff. So that, that will enable the kids to be engaged and, and involved and hopefully, you know, cause I know what it's like to go someplace like that and you've got a kid and, you know, about two aisles in they're bored because they can't, they can't get into the comics cause you're afraid they'll rip them up, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, uh, so this will allow a parent to take them over, let them blow off some steam and then go back into the, the main area to, to do some shopping or meet some creators and, and that kind of stuff. And right across from them, I've put, uh, the bulk of the all age type creators so that the kids can, can see those creators while they're they're doing their stuff. There'll be stuff that's geared towards the kids right there. So I think it's a good mix of uh, definitely artists over vendors. I've worked really hard to get a good mix of vendors and then a good range of creators that uh, can complement them. On top of everything that you just mentioned, including the creating self uh, and self-publishing comics mm -hmm. uh, get-together that you're going to do, uh, there are also going to be uh, additional panels and stuff like that. You were talking about in the kids' activities area that you create comics, and right. but there are also going to be actual panels as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the panels? 
Yeah, there's uh, going to be two panels, uh, and they'll be in a separate section. The, the kids' one will be in the main exhibit hall, but then we've set up another area, another room for the, the main panels. And um, they're going to be – the first one is going to be with some indie creators – um, and I'll have to thank here because I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's Bill Nichols and uh, Yuko Smith, and there's a couple of others in there. Um, maybe Stephen Bowman. Uh, oh, forgive me, I've forgotten oh, no, exactly okay. who's who's going to be in there. But it's going to be about uh, those guys are going to be sharing with um, people who are interested in getting into indie comics and uh, creating indie comics. So that one's geared towards kind of the, the people who are not um, ready to maybe exhibit at a show. Mm -hmm. They have some ideas and they are wondering how to, how to get into it. So that's going to be for them. And then the other showcase uh, or the other panel will be a showcase of um, a lot of the small presses that'll be there. will be showing kind of what they've, what they're working on and what they have to to share and and that kind of thing kind of hopefully uh let some people know about some great books that are out there that they might not be familiar with because they're not you know they don't get the press that that the, the bigger name books get so as with like a lot of uh, conventions that I've went to over the past few years, all the things that, that, that you've talked about so far are just like a lot of shows. And, but your show also um, will have a charity auction. Yeah. And, yeah. That's, okay. No, go ahead. No, 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 no. I just, I was just saying that, you know, for a one day show to have an auction, normally I've seen like the auctions like in two or three day shows, but for mm -hmm. like for a one day show to have an auction, that's the first time I've, I've ever seen um, that happen um, because I haven't done a lot of one day shows and I'm actually starting to, the more one day shows I do, the more I'm actually starting to enjoy one day shows. No offense to the three <laughs> and four day shows. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the one day shows are actually um, a, a, a little bit, it's a, to me, it's a little bit more relaxing for for me, right. honestly, because I, I get in, I'm able to promote books, I'm able to talk to people, you know, whatever happens that day happens, and I'm not stressed about the next day. And, 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 and I'm, I'm actually starting to really enjoy the one-day show and the two-day show over the three- and four-day shows. But um, as far as the uh, con charity auction goes, um, what are the um, pro proceeds going to? Uh, well, we're going to split the, the proceeds um, down the middle, and half of it will go to the Library Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit in Louisville that feeds into the Louisville Free Public Library System. And the money that uh, we'll be giving is going to be earmarked for um, graphic novels and comic-related books to um, to put in the different libraries in town there. Um, and the second one is the, uh, one of the co-hosts of Comic Geek Speak, uh, Jamie D. Um, you know, you know, he's been fighting cancer for a couple of years now. Yes. And um, even with good insurance, that those medical bills pile up. Oh, yeah. Community is a, is a big thing, you know, for me with comics. And um, so my goals with the auction were to give back to the immediate community, which is with the Library Foundation, and then to give back to the, the comics community um, by trying to support Jamie and, and getting his medical bills taken care of so that he can, you know, not have, have that, the stress of trying to pay those bills on top of, you know, the battle he's already, you know, fighting. So, yes. so we're going to split the money half and half with those two. running the show but i'm sure you also have a team behind you uh getting things together like as far as that experience goes how has that been like this is like you know this is your show um what is your experience as far as you know working with other people getting this show together i'm very careful with who i pick mm -hmm. so i have to make sure that you know when i i got them together that uh that they could work to the same level that i was wanting to work to Paul, uh, the guy who is in charge of the panels, and he helped a lot in the beginning with contacting artists and that kind of thing. I actually met him on the Comic Geek Speak forum. Hmm. Uh, we had never met before that. Uh, the, the gentleman that 
prodded me into uh, doing the show that egged me on um, happened to be getting his uh, PhD at the same time. So he didn't have any, any time to spare. So he prodded me along and then left me on my own, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm just, no, but, um, but I, you know, when, when I was in the initial stages of researching it, I was on the forum and uh, Paul made a post and I don't even remember what the thread was, but I noticed his location said Louisville, Kentucky. So I messaged him and, and said, look, here's, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And he got real excited and, and we started emailing back and forth ideas. And, and he, he was a great help to, um, to kind of help flesh it out because in the beginning, I, my thought wasn't to be as big as the show has turned out to be. Mm. Um, I just wanted a show, but I was willing to start, you know, maybe in a hotel and, and work our way up and you know, through using him as a soundboard and his ideas. And I really, you know, we ended up at the convention center, which is a big space. We had a big space to fill. You know, we ended up being able to work together really well. And then um, my sister-in-law is getting her uh, MBA with an emphasis in marketing. Um, and she's a good writer. And I had known that for a while. So I recruited her to help with some of the media stuff. So she, she proofs all my press, press releases and she's a good sounding board we think a lot on the same wavelength so you know there'll be there's tons of ideas marketing ideas and things that pop into my head and some of them have come to fruition others haven't but she's always been good to um where i could email her and say okay ali i'm here's my idea and she's real good about looking at the idea from maybe an angle I've missed and, and coming back with, no, I don't think we're going to be able to do that or, uh, okay, let's run with it, you know, that kind of a thing. So so it's really been a, an operation. So I'm impressed with my team because we have been able to to get the number of artists and vendors that we've got. That's a pat on the back to them for sure. Definitely. I think the thing is, is that a lot of people, many, most people don't understand all the work it takes to put a show together. No, no matter how small or how big a show is, it takes work. There are things that have things that have to be done. People have to get paid. Paperwork that needs to be signed. Uh, you know, rules that have to be followed. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not just hey, we're here. Let's just drop all this stuff off. Okay, we're out. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's never ever that simple. To, you know, to anyone wanting to start their own show, I have to give kudos, especially for you, because you guys have put in guys and gals have put in the work. And you yeah. know, as far as the organization, uh, getting sponsors, which is a whole other thing too. A lot of people that put shows together, you know, sometimes don't think about stuff like that, like sponsorships. I mean, right. spon- sponsorships help, you know, help one can help fund a show. Two can also help get the word out about the show and can actually do a lot. So it's, you know, it's not just we're here to do a show. It's, you know, we, right. you know, there's, there's so many intricate things that go behind the creation of a comic book convention that make it run smoothly. From what you've told me and, and from what, you know, we've all been listening to so far, the plan was laid out well, the organization is together, the layouts are, the layouts all set and everything should be a nice smooth process. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I read a book a few maybe a year ago or so it's called devil in the white city it's a it's a historical book but the guy who writes it it's kind of he writes it almost like it's a novel and what the book is about is a in chicago with the very first world's fair he intertwines these stories of daniel burnham who was the architect that put together the very first world's fair in chicago and this uh, serial killer that was there at the same time. But in that book, there was a quote from Daniel Burnham, and he said, um, think no small plans, for they have no fire to stir the souls of man. And that really stuck with me. And I've got that written down. I've got it on the, you know, um, my like my Facebook page and things like that. And I, I look at that quite often because, you know, when I started doing this, like I mentioned, I you know, I thought, Maybe I'll just have it in a hotel. I'll get, 
you know, five or six vendors and, you know, 20 artists or something, and we'll put on a little hotel show. And, and the more I thought about it, the more that quote popped into my head. And uh, I've always kind of tried to dream big, I guess. So it was just a matter of, well, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I might as well go all the way with it, you know? Yes. And if it, if I shoot for the stars and I'm, I don't make it, then I gave it my best shot, you know? So, because, you know, hotel shows are fine and they're, they're what they are, you know, but my fear was that I would start a hotel show and then they have a certain stigma to them. And because they're so different than a regular con. So my fear was then two years down the line, I tried to go to the convention center then everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, well, I've been to that show. They got like 10 dealers and a, and six artists. Uh, you know, why would I go to the convention center to see it? So at that point, it was like, well, just go big or go home. So, <laughs> you know, that's the way we looked at it. And I, I just went after it with that quote in mind. So, um, and I think I posted on your, your uh, Facebook wall the other day a, a little blog post from uh, Seth Godin, who's a market genius uh and that I, I can't remember all three points in it to share with your audience but um that was basically what he laid out in that plan was if someone asked you what's your plan you give them a plan so scary that they wish they hadn't asked <laughs> you know that was one of the points and and that's that's been kind of the operating principle for me and i think that is hopefully helped with a reputation for the show I, I don't put people's names on the site unless I'm sure that they're going to be there. It's about integrity with that. And I make it a point to, if somebody emails me, I want to get an email back to them as fast as I can. Um, if I have an answer for them, uh, then it, they get an email almost immediately. That's just kind of the work ethic. And, well, as a matter of fact, you know, the first emails that you and I exchanged, I was in the hospital with the birth of my daughter oh my. <laughs> and I, I was <laughs> I was answering the emails after uh, her and mommy went to sleep yeah. things have to get done and I, I wanted I wanted that reputation that if you email this Derby City guy you're going to get an email back pretty quick wow. so that's dedication sir I, I had no idea <laughs> the circumstances at the right. time oh my goodness <laughs> Wow. Yeah, don't tell my wife. So, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> won't tell us all. Won't, won't tell us all. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'm starting to notice, uh, the longer I've lived here uh, in the state of Kentucky, there is an actual uh, comic book creating community in the state. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty huge. I mean, I mean, that's going outside of, you know, just Robert Kirkman. Right. I met Tony Moore at the uh, Comic Geek Speak Super Show back mm -hmm. in uh, back in uh, late late April, early May. And I and I completely forgot he's from Kentucky, yeah. you, you know, and there are independent people. I think like I think Peter Palmiotti is based in Kentucky and um, a couple other people, including folks that are going to be at Derby City Comic Con that, you know, that have yeah. worked, you know, that work for major publications. You know, mm -hmm. they are also live in Kentucky. And I had no idea that the creators market, you know, as large as it was here in the state. Now, granted, other states it might be might be bigger, but for a state like Kentucky, it's pretty big. Yeah, um, we started reaching out to people, and you know, I didn't really know of a lot of local artists that were involved with comics. Um, there's the Louisville Cartoon, and I knew a lot of them. You know, were into that kind of thing, and we contacted them right up front. Then there's a gentleman named Stephen Bowman who has a his imprint's called Astounding Tales Comics, and he jumped on as a sponsor of the show within the first couple months of planning it. So with him on board and the Louisville Cartoonist Society, we had local artists that were just almost coming out of the woodwork, you know, and contacting us saying, thank you for finally doing something like this here. And, and, you know, some of them are um, more, not so much sequential artists as they are like for example um there's a gentleman named charles hall and he does a lot of sketch cards that are painted he does a lot of like fine art painted type of sketch cards for um 
Star Wars and uh, Marvel. So, and he's based there in Louisville. And uh, Jay Liston, who's a anchor for Marvel, um, inks a couple of the X books. He's he lives in Louisville. Um, I'm a big toy guy as well. And uh, there's a guy, um, Jonathan Matthews, who I have several of his figures, um, you know, sitting on my wall there. And he lives right there in Louisville. And he's a sculptor for DC Direct. Hmm. And um, he sculpted... Uh, well, if anybody's listening into the toy stuff, he did, he sculpted all the DC Direct um, New Frontier line based on the Darwin Cook um, series, okay. and uh, also the the New Gods um, line that came out when the omnibuses came out. Yeah, uh, he sculpted all of those. So, I mean, some really cool stuff for toy collectors. And and uh, somebody tipped me off that he lived in Louisville, and I. You know, got him uh, to agree to come, and um, you know the the whole. I'll, I'll throw this out there, and if anyone in your audience can help um, for next year, because it's probably too late for this year, but there's a gentleman named Don Rosa, and he writes uh, Uncle Scrooge comics. Yes, yes. He took over, um, and he writes in a Carl Barks style, and he does the art in Europe. The man is just huge. Mm-hmm. He is like a, a superstar in Europe uh, with these Uncle Scrooge comics. And he does maybe one or two um, conventions a year here in the States. Uh, he does Heroes Con. He was there this year. And uh, occasionally he throws another one in there. But he lives in Louisville. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do a lot of conventions because... He's just not as popular here um, on the scale that he is in Europe. So he does a lot more European shows. So I have searched high and low uh, to get in touch with Mr. Rosa without without any success. So, um, yeah, for next year, you know, I'd love to get him uh, to be at the show as a guest. And uh, people, you know, kind of maybe don't respect the the disney comics like that as much but but the guy has just you know if anybody gets a chance to listen to an interview with him i i just find it fascinating he he doesn't think he's a good artist he doesn't uh think his stuff's all that great but the only thing he ever wanted to do was write and draw um bridge mcduck Mm. and that's what he does uh, he did it for 20 years, um, and I think he has some health problems that limit his um, ability to to keep a schedule. So he he kind of dropped out. But um, but for 20 years, he had an idea of what he wanted to do with that character. He went after it, and that was his job for 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me that's inspirational, oh, and that, that's the kind of kind of people I want to bring to the to the show. So. But, yeah, you know, people like that are right here in Kentucky, right in Louisville, and people don't don't realize it, you know? I, I had no idea. Before we had this talk, I had literally no idea. That's that's just – that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, Don Rose is one of the underrated, underrated artists in comics history. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of those people where if you have, like, just like a, a – Uncle Scrooge comic or Donald Duck comic, stuff like that. He's one of the few that can drop nine panels on a page and nothing mm-hmm. nothing feels smushed in. It doesn't yeah. feel like all all cramped. And there's still detail. It's lavish. It's beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. from beginning to end, it, it's beautiful. And I think that a lot of people slept on Rosa. I'm not sure when he st- when he stopped doing the books, you know, full time and stuff. But mm-hmm. now during the DuckTales era, like the animated stuff, when that was out, I'm sure that helped pick up business book wise because there were still tons of comic book stores out there. And, you know, those Donald Duck books were also sometimes in Walden books. Well, that's a name I haven't said in a long time. Um, places like Walden books and stuff like that. But. But, you know, after that Disney afternoon phase phased out and syndicated cartoons phased out, 
I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that like the same with comic book stores as those started to shrivel up that, you know, also changed the outlook on these Disney comics. And then, you know, some retailers thought, oh, they're just for old folks. And then and then some retailers right. thought, oh, they're just for kids and kids don't come into our store. So he was in a situation where he was damned if he didn't, damned if he didn't. Or, right. or those Disney books at the time were damned if they didn't, damned if they didn't anyway. But I, I always thought those books are beautiful. Absolutely, positively yeah. beautiful. Yeah. He's, uh, there's an interview that I uh, listened to uh, with him that was done at Heroes Con, and I uh, unfortunately can't. Um, but he goes into that, uh, the, how the Disney comics fell out of favor, and it, it's fascinating stuff. It, it's uh, you know, it's something about with the, the way the magazine industry changed and the direct market changed and uh, how comic books went from the grocery stores to these direct markets. So instead of producing X amount of of comics, you know, so that they make sure all these grocery stores get them, they, they went to producing a more finite number and putting them just in their fans' hands, basically. So they didn't spread to the kids the way they did, you know, in the sixties. And, mm-hmm. um, and then he, he goes on to talk about that. And I think he, I think he kind of got burnt a little bit by the industry itself. Um, as far as royalties and some things like that mm-hmm. is my understanding, um, from his interviews. So he, he may not ever want to do a, a convention, but I know he does heroes, um, Almost every year, I think. So, if we could get him to to show up at ours, that would be fantastic. (laughs) First off, had no idea that you... Um, at collected toys. And besides, like the DC figures, what other kinds of toys uh, do you collect? Well, I'll tell you, I have slowed down greatly. For a long time in the 90s, I collected pretty much any Marvel figure that came out. Oh. And then I moved to Cincinnati and they all got boxed. <laughs> and then I moved back and I uh, ended up having to put them in storage. So after about a year of being in storage, I had in the storage unit that I did in the toys. So I ended up opening every one of them so that my nephew could play with them. And I still have a huge tub of open figures. But um, the most of what I get now, I the Batman Brave and the Bold line, uh, based on the cartoon, I bought everything that came out from it. A lot of it in duplicates. So I could put it back for my son to open when he's a little bit older. And um, I... Quite a few that what they call Infinite Heroes, mm-hmm. uh, the DC line, and also the Marvel Universe line. The three and three quarter inch are probably my favorites because of growing up getting all the GI Joes. So I still pick up some Joes every once in a while, and then I'm I'm down to just picking up characters that interest me okay. out of the Marvel and DC lines. Instead of I was able to at some point conquer the completest in me, and <laughs> and um, just pick and choose the ones I thought, you know, I, I buy them now. I buy a few to set up on shelves. Some of the DC universe ones that I buy to put up on the shelf. And then, um, a lot of them, I, I buy them. And then after I buy them, that kind of fulfills that need that I had to get it. <laughs> and then they go in a, they go in a tub. So when my son, he's only uh, two and a half now. So when he gets old enough to play with the, the smaller figures, then we'll, open them up and then I can play with them then oh I mean he can play with them and (laughs) (laughs) see I'm just I'm just jealous because you have you have if you collected those brave and the bold action figures you have the firestorm action figure then yes I'm very jealous extremely jealous right now (laughs) I did get that one and I'll make you even more jealous by saying that I passed on it at a target I think it was and um, me and my son went uh, driving around one day and uh, we went into a Kmart, which I don't usually go into, and they had them all on clearance. So I picked up my Firestorm figure for about five bucks. Uh, and that, that was like the, you know, 
12, 15 dollar figure. So the deluxe figures. Mm. So yeah, I scored on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Derby City. Action Lab Entertainment will have a small press table at Derby City Comic Con on July 16th. I'll tell you what, if you could do us all a favor, and because mm-hmm. uh, we all know the show's July 16th, but if you could give us a rundown on the times and, and tickets and all the and yeah. all the other important information before we go, um, and where they can find all the information about Derby City Comic Con, we would truly sure. appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be at the Kentucky International Convention Center, which is right in the heart of downtown. Um, it's real easy to get to off the interstate. You just take the, the exit, and it goes right by there. Um, the show starts at 10 and will run till 5, and um, tickets are $7. Um, kids 12 and under get in free with a paid admission, an adult admission. Um you can go to our website at Derby City Comic Con. Make sure you get two C's in there. dot com, and um, also you can check us out on Facebook. We've got a, a page there, and we've been sharing some. There's been some discussions on there, and um, also in the, the coming week, I'll be putting up um, different items from that'll be at the auction. As uh, artists tell me what they're bringing, we're going to put it up there so that people can have that in mind to um what they're to, so they can plan their budgets i guess if they they see something that they like excellent we i will definitely uh, be seeing you uh, at the derby city comic con uh, very soon uh, good sir eric thank you so much for uh being on the show and uh oh, thanks and, for having me oh you're welcome and we all wish you uh the best uh, with derby city comic con yeah thank you mm-hmm. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment, or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.